Welcome back, folks, to Two Brits, One Puck. I'm your host, Mr. Intangibles, a complicated man, and a hay fever sufferer, Dan Masters, with my good friend, a man who ate food made by prisoners once, and a man who this week has been checked for the ick. Will every human, Will, how you doing? Uh, I'm, I'm not all that good, to be honest, Dan. I've got a, got a paper cut earlier this evening. <laughs> so, like I say, look at the palm of your hand, yeah? Palm of your yeah. right hand. The, the crease between your index finger and your palm. I knew you were going to say that. Horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. Livid. And I don't even know how I did it. I just, I looked down at my hands. Oh, I've, I've got a very stingy cut on my hand. So yeah, terrible, actually. Thanks for asking. That's mad because I was, I was at work today and I was doing something menial and my little finger felt like it was on fire. Oh. And it, I, I kept looking at it and I couldn't see what the problem was. And then I came home tonight and for some reason I was in the right light or something and there was a giant splinter buried in my little finger. Ooh, but savage. not kind of not even sticking out. I've had to I've had to get a pin, which I kind of I'm a sadist. I enjoy doing this. I've had to get a pin and dig it out, even a nice little crater in your, in your <laughs> yeah. Finger. See, we're, we're becoming simpatico. That's what's happening. We're, it's a singularity. Will Everyone's we're just merging into the same person? Still in the wars now. We're just crying out for help. <laughs> Speaking of crying out for help, Will, let's talk about Brendan Leipzig, shall we? <laughs> does that does that count as a cry for help? I don't think. It will be maybe, when it gets punished. Maybe everyone who's defending him is crying out for help, like uh, Matty Barnaby. We are starting with this week's instalment of Hockey Player Turns Out to Be Complete Dickhead. So this week's contestant is Brendan Leipzig, as mentioned, and he was caught via a hacked Instagram account saying some pretty shitty things. I, uh, I, notably, don't think it was, I don't think it was hacked. Sorry to cut you off. I thought his friends was hacked and then they just posted all the images. Oh, I had, I hadn't heard that. I'd heard that his friend had leaked them. So oh, really? Either way, because that's the whole thing. Like the, the well, that's bar- even better. The Matthew <laughs> Barnaby take of his his thing saying the moral of the story is to know who you've got in your group chat, sort of thing. Oh, I read it was his friend's account was hacked, and then whoever hacked it posted the images. Uh, posted the yeah the images of the messages. This is important to note because if it was a hack, then Brendan Leipzig has done nothing wrong and is actually a good guy. Uh, whereas <laughs> if, it, if it were deliberately leaked, then yeah, he's, he's horrible and should be admonished. Most notably, messages about women degrading them in all kinds of ways. He called his line mates Nick Dowd and Garnet Hathaway losers. He called Jake Vertanen and his friends the worst crew in the world. And he marked Tanner Pearson's wife's weight, which is always a really... Uh, Really great thing to do. Well, I am an impartial journalist, as you know. Yes. So so I have to ask this question. I'm going to ask this question. I don't believe this, but I have to put it out there. Is this just lads, 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 lads banter? Or if, if you go, if you look at the male population in the world, if you take a certain percentage of the male population's thing, are they going to look like this? Yes. <laughs> They are, they are, and, and, and it, is, it is just lads, lads, lads. That's the problem. Lads, lads, yeah, lads is. banter is not a good thing. Lads banter is inherently what's wrong with with men, with with the the way men interact in society, and and you know the sort of ingrained misogyny that we have in the world, and just all of that. It's all that's it's it's very normal, and that's exactly what's wrong with it. Those were the some defensive tweets, weren't they? After the images are posted, saying things along the lines of, yeah, but this is just lads talking to each other. This doesn't make it any better. This maybe makes it worse. 
Yeah. Because it just shows that they're like this all the time. And it's probably not even the worst things that anyone in that group chat has said. Oh, God, no. This is just a a cross-section. It's not necessarily... There are probably far, far worse things in there. And it's just the utter disrespect towards not only you know strangers that you're seeing on on the internet or whatever but like people that you actively know like so Leipzig has a comment about uh Tanner Pearson's wife's weight it's like guarantees met her before probably knows her to some extent because they were teammates in Vancouver Tanner Pearson not Tanner Pearson's wife so there's there's like an added layer of not only is he a misogynist and has no respect for women and you know he's, he's body shaming and all that but he's also he's also just a dickhead because there are plenty of people who are lads 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 who would say it about strangers but as soon as you meet meet that person it's like oh well i can't say that like it almost takes an extra level of bad personness to that's say a good it about take. No, not that it like excuses any of it, but it no, really, no, but that's a good point. I agree. It, it really cements the lack of respect he has for anyone. That is true. That's really true. I, I do want to take this moment to apologise to Josh Levo because I've spent the last however many years of my life confusing Josh, Le- Josh Levo and Brendan Leipzig for one another. <laughs> um, so yeah, apologies to Josh Levo <laughs> for now. Well, until until Josh Levo's Instagram account gets hacked, and then maybe we'll say the same thing. <laughs> this is it. I do, I do want to reserve my right to uh, rescind that apology. <laughs> yeah, I agree in, in the light, in the way of, and I, I'll look at this because, if like you mentioned, you've mentioned the the human side of the story there, talking about you know like somebody's a woman's weight and that kind of thing, to to say it about your own line mates as well. When hockey's meant to be this. Oh, we play together, we live together. I've said before, it's like the army. You know, you play together, you live together, you die together. It's You're all in it together, but you're just not. Uh, like, they're all out for themselves. Even your own line mates are not beyond stupid comments or dickheadery, are they? There's, there's just nothing sacred. No, absolutely. Like, you get, you get dickheads and bad people everywhere in life, and unsurprisingly, you get plenty of them in hockey locker rooms. It's just, especially after the whole... Twitter debacle with like Brandon Prust a couple of weeks ago where he was getting into it with, with Josh Vina. It's just like what? You know, Brandon Prust's argument was oh, hockey players are inherently respectful and not the most respectful group of athletes and, and you hear that from plenty of other people apart from Prust like you know oh we're meant to be hockey players are more respectful than NBA players because because they're not black, like, you know, <laughs> and, and yeah, no, we're not, yeah. they're not like pro footballers, they're not, you know, they're from Saskatchewan farms, and they're, they're hard-working, etc, etc, it's like, no, they're just fucking jocks, for want of a better term, and no offence to the Scots, like, it's, it's, you get the same cross-section of people and personality types in hockey players as you do anywhere else. Yeah, it's true, they're just in, they're just entitled, like we said, just entitled middle-aged white lads. And they just by and large, yeah. Yeah. Especially in hockey, like, because you have to be so privileged and, and relatively well off to play it in the first place. I'm gonna to have to ask this question as well, because again I I feel I should to sort of show maybe not impartiality, but I'm I'm trying to show both sides and I wanna kind of put the argument out there for both sides. Should private conversations stay private? And if it's a private Instagram messages, should that be that can never be released or unless it causes somebody like, you know, physical danger or something. Do you think there's anything to that? Because I'll, actually, I'll just I'll just add on to that as well. I saw one of the comments on Twitter after the leaked messages have been tweeted was that yeah, what Brendan Leipzig said is wrong, but 
why isn't the person who leaked these for their own little 10 minutes of fame also being sort of shouted down here? I mean, in, in some ways, it's a bit like whistleblowing, isn't it? Where Brendan Leipzig's a, a person in, in the public eye. He's a, he's a professional hockey player. And we've both said before how that should be a privilege and you should, if you're performing in a manner which is not befitting a professional hockey player, you shouldn't be allowed that privilege to play. I think, yes, while there's an argument that oh, it wasn't a plot to murder someone, he's not threatening violence against anyone, it's still something that I think shouldn't necessarily be protected. Like, I, I don't necessarily want to say that we should be exposing everybody's private messages by default, but I can't say I, I would argue for Leipzig in that case, where there are, there are personal and private things that you wouldn't want revealed, but your opinions should not be them. If your opinions need to be kept private, they are probably not good opinions to be had. Say, for example, I'll put this to you. Say, for example... I know he's RFA this year, and he's so up. Say the Caps re-sign him for a year or something, because I'm going to use it for, for this example. And they're playing the Canucks, and Tanner Pearson, like, levels him on purpose, you know, hit to the head, bad shot. You know, it's it's a legitimate, he was aiming, you know, it's a it's a bounty gate type yeah, it's, thing. it's clearly, he's out for it. It's clearly retribution for what he said on these private messages. I mean, what do you do then, you know? Well, it's like with the whole Wilson Reeves thing, isn't it? Like, I'm I'm not Team Wilson, but two wrongs don't make a right and all that. I think <laughs> the the appropriate thing, according to hockey law, would be to challenge him to a fight and then beat the crap out of him in a consensual fight. But yeah, yeah and Tanner Pearson should be allowed to get his wife on the ice as well to lay the boots in. I, th- I think once Brendan Leipzig's on the ice, she should be allowed to come in and just, like, I don't know, American History X him. Yeah. Well, yeah, I feel like she should at least be able to have a shiv because she's not a hockey yeah. player, so it kind of levels the playing field a little bit. If she's got a blade, it at least levels the playing field a little bit if it's two-on-one and she's got a shiv. W- would it be unreasonable to take the man's head off and then slam his head in the in the bench gate? <laughs> who, am I, who am I to say? Who am I to say? But, but no, I, I don't think... I don't think like we should be condoning deliberate hits to the head against anyone. No, I agree. I'm not. No, I'm not saying that at all. But that's the point of the, the kind of privacy issue of that. Is that you said something about a player's wife, and then on a private message, and then that player is going to find you and level you. If he did, I'm saying you know, in the example, you've then got a serious question of, well, hang on a minute, those messages are private. They shouldn't but, be out there anyway. But then, not, and again, not saying it's. I clearly disagree with what he said. I'm just trying to look at the other side of this. No, I I know what you mean. Like in a way, by releasing those messages, it's it's putting Leipzig in more danger than he could have been otherwise. Yeah. But the the two things I'll raise to that is one, chat shit get banged. And, <laughs> Shout out to Leicester City. And and two is that's on Tanner Pearson. It's not like these messages have, have released uh, and are automatically gonna endanger Leipzig's life or anything like that like if Tanner Pearson chooses to go out and, and seek retribution in an illegal manner then yeah that's a conversation we'll have then and we'll say I would say yeah Tanner Pearson shouldn't have done that I understand why he did that but he still shouldn't have done it or shouldn't do it should he do it in, in the future what, what if it was racist would we be having this conversation if, if he was hmm. saying oh Whatever. If he said, yeah, if he said, look at this. language against people's wives yeah, or former teammates and stuff, nobody, we wouldn't be thinking about that. That wouldn't be bad to that science, would it? 
and not to equate racism to to body shaming but to an extent it's the same sort of difference that's true that is true it's still but then but do they see that's the thing like what would the reaction be say tanner pearson does target him and like headshot and head hits him would the reaction to that be different if it was about a black player and the black player leveled him would the reaction from the fans be the same? I don't know. I'm just I'm just putting it out there. I don't know. So for for that situation, in some ways, you've got the whole issue with well, it was Boko Imama and who was the guy? The who's the the D man oh, who tried to kill Clive David? Brandon Manning. Brandon Manning. Yes, teammate Brandon Manning. <laughs> teammate Brandon Manning. So. Manning was racist to Imama on the ice and Imama fought him the next game, which, yeah. again, no matter how you feel about fighting, that is the technical, technically the appropriate way to handle that situation in a hockey game. If Imama had gone out and just elbowed him in the head and like tried to knock his block off, you completely understand why he's done it, but it's not, doesn't make it any better, does it? No. You know what's weird, though, in this whole fighting thing about, you know, that's the, the ice hockey way to deal with things, if Tanner Pearson challenges Brendan Leipzig to a fight and Leipzig just beats the shit out of Tanner Pearson I mean what's <laughs> you think like you'd want there to be some kind of retribution wouldn't there but well, there wouldn't if, be in that situation if, if that happens then we all have to agree that Leipzig was right like that's the laws of the game it's I like know a, yeah like it's a, like um, Judge Judy that's it that's it it's done that's what's it. that right. biggest um, trial by combat or whatever it is yeah yeah whoever wins is right that's you know it's God has ruled that Brendan Leipzig is right if he wins that fight. Who am I to argue with the wills of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour? Well, I agree with what you said, and what he did was really, really shitty. And it shows that the kind of person he is, that he just took shots at everybody about everything. Part of me is concerned that what do you then do if it then led to something more serious? But like you say, you don't know, dear. We'd have to judge that if it happened or not. I'm not sure. Yeah, that that's totally just a judgment on Pearson individually. Like, yeah, the the releasing of it's not like somebody's held Brendan Leipzig at knife point and said, "Yeah, cool, Tanner Pearson's wife fat, or else I'm going to stab you." This is just I'm not saying that Brendan Leipzig doesn't deserve protection, but it's it's reaping what you sow to an extent, isn't it? I mean, the thing the thing is as well, he's gonna have to be careful going back into his own dress, dressing room. Because if he's Jeez not careful, Louise. Nick Bowden and Garnet Hathaway are going to get bars of soap in a sock and leather in with them, aren't they? A la Full Metal Jacket. Mate, if, he, if he's Just... back in the league next year, fucking hell. Like, there yeah, are... I'd be stunned. You do not need Brendan Leipzig at all. I've already heard Bill Peters has been on the phone. So, <laughs> so right, I've got a spot for you there, boy. <laughs> Is that Brendan? Yeah. Do you like vodka and snow? <laughs> Have I got a job for you, mate? I was thinking about this earlier. Why is it always players that don't understand that they're wholly replaceable that do shit that makes them fucking replaceable oh mate i've got no idea you know you know idea like, sid's never gonna come out with like a fucking anything like this is he or or even anyone who's like good enough that you think ah eh, well they're pretty good they should probably stay in the league well, it's always players who you could. It's always players who could literally get Thanos clicked off the planet immediately. And, you wouldn't even it notice they'd ever fucking, existed. Fucking effective yeah. thing. It's always you're so right. It's always those players, and it's always the players who do make the most money and who are the most talented who seem to be the ones who go over and above to do things and make things right. Or I don't know. 
you know, you get stories like a year later, Player X, who's making $9 million a year, actually took the time to do this, this, and this. You think, oh my God, I never knew that. Like, what a guy. That's that's really nice of him, kind of I, thing. I, it's always like you say, fucking, I don't know. I wonder if that's an element of, like, stat, status affecting, so say, with, say, take Sid. Sid will have had people around him since he was, like, 15, telling him how to act, how to behave, etc., etc. Whereas Brendan Six probably been on his own since whenever. Like, nobody fucking gives a shit about Brendan Leipzig, and rightly so. Brendan Leipzig won't have any advisors around him, you know what I mean? So, I think what I can glean from this is you're saying that Brendan Leipzig deserves a Tom Wilson-type raise. Is that what you're saying? I'd, I'd say so, yeah. I think he's yeah. he's arguably the most second most valuable forward on the Capitals roster behind only Tom Wilson himself. If he starts making six million next year, then he'll really show the nice guy that he actually is, rather than this seven hundred K version. Fucking he's not even Poundland, Tom Wilson. <laughs> is there less than Poundland? I don't know. He's yeah, he's at the dump. Dump Tom Wilson, he just found him at the tip. <laughs> but then but then Tom Wilson just physically assaults people. He's not as as far as I'm aware. Perfectly respectable with his words, you know, to Mr. Wilson. He's not. I've never heard any sort of complaints with how he conducts himself off the ice. It's true. He just had to go and see a player safety six times in 18 months. <laughs> That's all he did. Well, again, but none of them were for, for unsportsmanlike people. He just, he just targeted people in the head, but he never wrote anything bad, so he's okay. <laughs> Jack the Ripper may have murdered. Five women in a span of years, but I never heard a bad word about his manners. Exactly. It makes you think. He never wrote any. He never wrote horrible letters to anybody. Actually, no, he did. Forget that. <laughs> he wrote really <laughs> he bad actually? letters, actually. Was oh yeah, a... really bad. He sent body parts to the police in a letter. Was he the first person to do that? It's a good question. Probably he was the, the world's first known like serial killer, and he was the. Interestingly, his last victim was the first ever crime scene photograph published in a British paper. Jeez Louise. When so was was Jack Ripper in the nineteenth century then? Eighteen oh this is gonna test me now. Well like seventeen. Oh, I think it's isn't it? I think it's eighteen ninety something, eighteen eighty something. It's yeah. around there. But I yeah. always think of it as being like the fucking sixteen hundreds. <laughs> no. Because we'd have no million, record of it. You know. 45 BC, Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, with the fucking Romans, like, there's probably hundreds of people doing that, weren't there? You, like, it was just fucking all out war at that stand, point. Who knew what was going on? Really, like, yeah, exactly. Just floating around with, no your, with your towel on and your knob flopping out, just stoning people to death. <laughs> <laughs> the good old days. The good old days, yeah. I mean, it's exactly. Brendan Leipzig, if he was a Roman, we'd be probably be lauding him. So he'd probably some war general or something. And we'd be like, well... It's the cost of war. You go insult some players now and again and some players' wives. I mean, what's he going to do? You know, when it's in, war. What do you expect? When in Rome, Dad. When in Rome. When in Rome. When in Washington, Will. When in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go with the show. Let's do it. All right, so we should get a, an article this week about the wings tanking and how it worked out really well for them, given that, and we'll get onto the, the draft idea in a minute. 
because they're guaranteed to be picking no later than, than second. So they're going to get first or second if the draft idea goes ahead. Detroit fans then come over the top with a bevy of takes along the lines of, well, we haven't picked in the top three for over 30 years. Or, oh yeah, it's clearly rigged in Detroit's favour. Or, well, what are we supposed to do? Our team is like got loads of bad contracts and blah, blah, blah. I wanted or, or to. The like, one where it's like, we're not tanking. This is just a res- <laughs> what happens when you've been really good for this long. <laughs> yeah, we're not tanking. We're just a bad team. <laughs> We've just been re- We just were really good. It's like, those two aren't mutually exclusive there, bruv. And I don't mind, like, but as Wish pointed out, Steve Eisenman said, we're going to build through the draft. Because they, they, have to, they have to build through the draft because they do have a lot of bad contracts. So they have to build through the draft, which is perfectly fine. And I just wanted to... Why, why are some people so against the idea that a team is tanking? Why can't they get around the idea that, actually, some nights, the coach will say to his players, you know what, lads? Maybe don't go too hard tonight. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe look at the big picture here, boys. <laughs> In the case of Detroit, they've left the coach in deliberately because no matter what he says, they can't play very well. <laughs> yeah, the coach is doing what he's supposed to do, which is not be very good at his job. I, I but yeah, why, why is, do you why do you think so? Some fans are so against that idea. It's because some fans are so stupid. So yeah, yeah, it's like they're enslaved to these teams, and they're thinking that their their train of thought is, oh well, if you're saying the teams are tanking, you're saying that. I'm supporting a losing team, therefore I'm a loser, so that really offends me. When really you're just exposing yourself as a loser by being upset that your team's tanking. If if I was a fan of the Red Wings and they weren't tanking, I'd be fucking pissed off. Yeah, me too. So what 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 do you want them to do? You're not getting rid of that Justin Abdicator contract. You're not getting rid of like X, Y, and Z contract that are fucking awful. You've just got to ride it out and and while you're while you're basically running down the clock on these contracts, what do you, do you want to finish fucking seventeenth? Is, is that what you want? You want you want to you want to pick fourteenth in the draft, or do you want to do what you can to pick first? Yeah, you want to pick first. So it's just thin-skinned fans being utter idiots and not. I don't know. I I don't know if it like relates back into the whole hockey thing, the whole hockey mentality of oh we gotta be. Yeah, oh, you've got to try really, really hard. Even if you've got a broken leg, you should still be out there and finish your shift and stuff. And I, I don't know what it is, but some idiot fans just take it too personally. I loved, I, I loved the, we haven't picked in the top three in over 30 years. And? <laughs> it's not, I think they the have. draft isn't, let's all take a turn. Who? So what? If you haven't picked over the top three for over 30 years. What? So? So what? <laughs> That's not how the draft works. Oh, God, I feel so sorry for Detroit with all their success. They haven't picked in the top three for so long. How terrible for them, That's making really the playoffs. All those all those fans who are like, we've made the playoffs 25 years in a row. What a franchise. And there they're going, it's not fair. We haven't picked in the top three for over 30 years. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what happens when you make the playoffs every year for 25 years straight, you fucking idiots. It's, and I don't even think the top three thing is true. Well, they made the like, like I said, they made the playoffs every year for twenty something years, didn't they? So it must be bloody yeah, nearly 20, true. Twenty five years. So it must be close to that. Yeah, I think it's relatively. Yeah, nineteen ninety, Mike Castleman. Right, thirty years. Oh wait, hold on a sec. That's something else. No, Keith Primo. Oh. nineteen ninety. But well, there you go. That is thirty years. There you go. 
Fly. But still, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't change anything, does it? No, it's just morons, it, and it's no surprise with with such a storied franchise as the Wings, especially the the franchise that was so had such a fucking erection for staying in the playoffs at whatever costs. That now they're suddenly like, yeah, have it having this take of oh we're not tanking, we're not tanking, we're better than that. So you, you're not better than that, and even if you think you are, shut up, it's it's hockey. Well, what does it matter? It's all just a I game. Know, yeah. The whole thing is a game. And how many times? How many times have we had this? Had to have this chat. Hockey fans, listen to me. It doesn't matter if you finish last in the league. You're not punished in any way for finishing last in the league. There is no relegation. You will not lose anything. You will be rewarded so heavily for finishing last in the league. You should want this. If I was a Wings fan replying to Wish's fucking tweet or about his article, I, I'd be saying, yeah, we tanked. We're going to get Lafreniere or Byfield. It's awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> but no. It's, it's the right thing for them to do. Like, yeah. Sport, draft sports and American sports with caps and stuff, like it's, it's such a cyclical thing where you should either be trying to win or you should be trying to lose. And they are in the stage of trying to lose. And they should be. The eyes of the eyes of plan is working perfectly, which is okay. We're going to be shit for the next three years, but who cares? Because every year we're going to pick I don't know first, second, or third probably, and get an unbelievable talent. And by that point, all of our contracts will be gone, and then we'll get, and then we can work on free agency and build a real team. That's how you do it. That's how the Blackhawks did it. That's how I don't know. Pick it. Pick a really good team. The That's Michaels. how they've done it. <laughs> I mean, there are exceptions. Well, obviously. Jesus Christ, Franz Nielsen, three more years. That's that's one that's messing me up. Yeah. Oh that's yeah, there's me. some bad contracts on that team. Like obviously, and that's the thing as well. To get rid of those contracts as well, to get rid of those contracts, you'd have to then pay a cost, like the Leafs did with Patrick Marlowe. Yeah, we'll take Franz Nielsen off your hands, but we want your first. Well, you can't do that if you're a rebuilding team. You have to eat the contracts as long as you can. <laughs> And then either buy them out when it's like financially viable to do such a thing, or you just tank and get great players. Because there's no punishment for being shit. <laughs> you end up trading Lafreniere away just to get just an advocate of your books. I don't I get wonder, it. I, I, I respect if... the hell out of teams. I respect the hell out of teams that tank. I think if I think if I don't think this should be I've said that before, I don't think this should be a lottery. I think the draft is a draft. If you finish last, you get first pick. If your owner's willing to risk financial instability in that market to get a great player then they should get rewarded in my opinion and i think it, it depends on how you do it as well like your reasons for doing it the the red wings are fully in the right situation to tank whereby they are stapled out like they've got a new gm they're weighed down by old contracts that are ridiculous should never have been signed in the first place so they're kind of handcuffed until those contracts are finished there are certain other teams that aren't necessarily in that position and tank anyway. It's a sensible thing to do, but you can end up in your sort of Coyotes, Sabres sort of situation if you're not careful. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's it's absolutely the right thing to do. I I wonder if because there's talk about with the with the cap staying flat for next season and potentially next season being affected by COVID as well. There's talks of maybe some compliance buyouts in the summer potentially. I wonder if that's going to end up helping out the the Red Wings still. I mean, yeah, it might do. It might do. But then again, I mean, if you look at, I look, I've just got their cap friendly hook. It's not 
it's not terrible. It's not great, but they're going to be losing some money off the books this year. Jonathan Erickson's 36. He's making 4.2 million. He'll be gone. Trevor Daly's 36, making 3.1 million. Then you've got on long-term IR, Johan Franson, 4 million. He's like this year. So, I mean, it's not like there's going to be nothing there at all. They could still then start putting little pieces in free agency and just, little, you know, just slide a few little pieces in, make a little, few little cheeky deals here and there. It's it's all possible. It's just a process. And yeah, Wings fans, you're just going, you're just going through the process right now. That's, that's, that's what you got to do, though. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you say, after this season, you've only really got Nielsen and Abdulkaya that are particularly bad contracts. And yeah, that adds up to nine and a half million. But that's, you know, you're not looking at like San Jose or whatever, who are, or, or the Kings or whoever. You're not in I mean, as yeah, bad Christ. a position as San- some of those teams. <laughs> San Jose, I keep forgetting about San Jose. Ridiculous. <laughs> And and the Kings as well, like the Kings are fucked with yeah. and, and the Ducks, they're all fucked with their with their cap as well. They're bad and they've got so much money tied up in those bad players. And they've done the other thing and they've actually tried to be competitive in certain areas. Whereas the Wings are just like, Yeah, we want we want first or second overall. Bad choice. You could guarantee after the way the lottery works as well, there was no guarantee the Wings are getting first or second. There was no guarantee, because we've seen it before. Teams you can drop from first to fifth or first to fourth or whatever. If you're the wings and now they're saying with this new idea, you'd be guaranteed first or second. I would snatch the NHL's hand off. Like, yes, that, brilliant. I'll take it. Is that actually a league proposed system? Because I only saw it through Micah, so I wasn't quite sure where those odds had come from. Yeah, the, yeah. under the... Well, we'll get onto it in a minute, but just for the point of this wings discussion, under the proposal, the wings could draft no later than second. They would mm-hmm. get first or second under the new proposal. And the and the senators could have no worse than second and, and third. fourth. Or second yeah, the senators could go no worse than fourth. Yeah. So like, why wouldn't you? Wings fans should be dancing in the street at this news. I think the the only people who would be opposed to it are like that that murky middle from probably any anyone apart from the senators and the wings who aren't going to be in the playoffs would be opposed to that. Oh, I agree. But like I said, we'll get onto the draft idea in a minute. Is there anything else on the wings? Not necessarily on the on the fans or whatever, but I don't want to say you worry, but there there are some players on there that you're gonna to want to turn this thing around for quicker than others, sort of thing. Obviously, you've got like Philip Zadina, Joe Valeno, Morris Sider in in the minors to come up, and they're still sort of twenty and under. But then you've got like say Anthony Mantha's 25, Tyler Bertuzzi's 25, Dylan Larkin's 23 sort of thing. If you take another three, four years to sort this out, yeah, they're still going to be good players, but they're probably not going to be as effective as you're arguably, they're in their best years at the moment, really. Which I, I, I don't know what you can do about that because you don't exactly want to go super aggressive this off-season to try and capitalise on Dylan Larkin. But No, I don't think Eisenman will either. No, no, I, I think he's going to... I think he's going to maybe just maybe get like a nice little, I don't know, maybe like a second pairing D-man or I think he's going to play it real, real slow. And Because that's what he does. He's going to build a team. He's going to build a team. He's going to, like I say, it's not going to be like, well, next season the wings are challenging. They won't be. They'll probably do this again next year. And they should. It, it will be one of those things where if the deal's there, go for it. If not, then yeah. then don't. I'm not going to, I'm not going to force anything through kind of thing. No, absolutely. Which is the way it should, way it should happen. Exactly. I mean, all we know is, as long as they've got Luke Glendening, they'll be fine. Yeah, you've got to lock him up. <laughs> he needs... 
<laughs> he needs a Franz Nielsen deal, <laughs> like urgently. <laughs> more, more than that, you could get that anywhere on the open market. That's a fair point. <laughs> okay, we're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and this week we were given away free as a cassette on the cover of Smash Hits magazine. And if you could leave a five-star review, that would be really, really good. We do have an interview this week. We are joined by Alison Lucan from The Athletic, and someone I've wanted to talk to for quite a while. Alison did take an unconventional route to her job at The Athletic, which shows you don't always have to follow the well-trodden path. But it was really interesting. I hope you like it. Here she is, Alison Lucan. Hey, Dan. Hi, Alison. How are you doing? I'm good. Sorry about that. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. The joys of computers, as always. <laughs> I'm like looking at the app and it's like loading, loading, loading. I'm like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. We've had so many interviews. We've had to start over because just Skype decides doesn't want to work that day or the computer decides to do an update at the wrong time. So it's, it's fine. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm glad we could make this happen. Yeah, me too. This is excellent. How's the lockdown been treating you? What's it like in, in Ohio? Because obviously state to state's kind of different, isn't it? So uh, how's it been going it for is. you? It is. Yeah, we are actually really, really lucky. Um, our governor has been outstanding. He's he's actually getting cited quite a bit by other states and national uh, press for how aggressive he was. So we have been really, really fortunate to. Uh, I don't. We have not even hit a thousand deaths in the wow. state. So um, yeah, it's been exceptional. It's been we're just we're just very thankful um, to be lived. There's still some crazies, of course, but we are we are on the whole very thankful for. Uh, how, how it's been handled here. Yeah, we have we have the same over here, obviously. You get the odd ones. And if you'd have asked me, I don't know if you know about what's happened in the UK with this whole thing, but it turned out that the items you couldn't buy in supermarkets was toilet roll and flour. Everything else was fine. <laughs> and if you'd have asked me six, if you said to me six months ago, by the way, Dan, there's going to be a global pandemic. Can you predict what items are going to run out of stock completely? I wouldn't have picked toilet roll and flour, but people seem to want those things. I don't know why. We, we had the same thing with the toilet paper and my husband and I kept we're like, I don't like, like you said, of all the things I'm worried about having an extra amount in my house, like that's not even top 10. I know. <laughs> maybe, maybe people don't wash or something. I don't know. It's maybe they're all just living in filth. I'm not sure what's going on, but yeah. Just insane. It's so crazy. So insane. crazy. Um, so have you always lived in, in Ohio then? Um, I actually was born in Ohio. I grew up here. And then I uh, moved for college. I went to Richmond, Virginia. And my first job took me all over. Actually, I was a consultant. So I lived in Florida, in Pittsburgh, in Washington, D.C., wow. in uh, all over, uh, San Francisco, all over the place. And uh, had settled down in D.C. and was actually there for 9-11. And uh, after it, it's, it's ironic to be uh, in the time of life we are now because it was a similar series of, of events course, in yeah. D.C. after 9-11. So yeah. um, having some weird flashbacks. But uh, after that, moved back to Ohio and uh, have been here ever since. I'm very happy about it. So what's it? Have you, what sort of stark sort of contrasts or differences did you notice then moving across the country? Because America, obviously, people in England, I don't think, realize how big America actually is. And <laughs> like you could fit the entirety of England into sort of one major city. And I think we forget that sometimes. So with COVID-19, each state is almost treated like an individual country, isn't it? You all have your own rules and sets and guidelines and everything. So what kind of things did you notice when you were sort of moving around or any differences? Yeah, it's, it is true. It's, um, it's funny that people don't, I don't think even Americans understand um, if they haven't been lucky enough to, to travel 
um, which I have been very blessed to be able to do that thanks to even back to my parents when I was young. But I don't even think Americans understand how big and how diverse um, this country is. And I think it's funny, my husband and I were not married yet when we moved to Ohio um, back in 2002, but it was like for like six months, we, we loved going shopping because everything was so much cheaper. But <laughs> 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 a, a big city, DC obviously is a, is a massive city and Columbus, Ohio, is, is it's a smaller city, but it has a lot of really um, nice benefits. It's, it's, it's very progressive. It's young in terms of being built up technologically and such. So therefore, right. it's really on, on the front lines of that. Um, but even like a stupid thing like valet parking, it was like, I think it was like $2 when we moved to Columbus. And we're like, <laughs> we are valet parking all the time just because we can. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that and then, of course, there's there's regional differences. There's there's a lot more. You know, Midwest is is Midwest nice. Um, that's a thing that the Midwest is known for. So a lot more politeness, um, a little bit slower speed to things. Uh, D.C. was certainly a little bit more progressive. There was a, a bit more equality and diversity in D.C. And, and Ohio and Columbus have been catching up to that, thankfully. But uh, yeah, great little quirks to to everywhere I've been able to live for sure. Yeah, whenever my wife's family are from London, so whenever we go down to London, I just kind of stand there and shake my head and just say, "How do people live like this? I don't know how they do it." Because <laughs> we live in a we live in a town, and our towns are kind of quaint. There's lots of greenery. Everywhere's kind of spread out. No one's really on top of each other. And then I get to London, and I'm just like, "Oh my god, what's happening? This is just mm-hmm. chaos and anarchy." I don't know if people do it. <laughs> I think you know it's funny. I when when we were in DC, I lived in DC, um, and I loved it. Um, but I also love space too. I think, you know, different, different, uh, matches for every person, depending on what they like. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what got you into hockey then? How did, uh, how did hockey find its way to you? I have to ask everyone this because there's an Englishman. I have to know, I love to know these things. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was, a, it was a roundabout path for me, um, in Ohio and in the Midwest, uh, the main sport, uh, for the longest time was football and specifically yeah. college football. So, I grew up primarily focusing on that, but my dad had played hockey um, in his high school years, just, you know, on the high school team, nothing serious. Okay. Um, but so, I, you know, I heard about it. He had these crazy looking skates that looked different than what you saw on, like, for example, a figure skater. Yeah. Um, and he would take me skating. And so I was skating from a really early age, but just kind of following hockey peripherally because there really wasn't any any teams close by or that felt close by Detroit existed, but it wasn't really something we were super um, aware of or following. Um, But as I mentioned, when I was moving around, when I settled in DC, I was finally able to follow a team and that was the Caps. So the Caps were my team for for a while. And then when I moved back to Columbus, the Blue Jackets had had just started um, in Columbus. They were just a few years old, just babies. So um, (laughs) started going to to their games as a alternative to football was kind of footballed out <laughs> to be honest and was able to again have a team to follow and um, this was of course when bl- it's the stereotypical blogs were coming on and things like this so started blogging and and just kept at it and went from there I tried blogging for a little bit and it is absolutely a passion project you have to oh yeah and you have to get into that mindset of okay every day I have to go I have to go and I think like you say there is a traditional route of sort of going through media, going through news journalism, all that kind of thing. But I think with bloggers, it's, and it is kind of looked down on sometimes blogging, isn't it? It's just kind of our blogger, like sat in his mum's basement, writing crap yeah. about people he doesn't know. <laughs> and you think, yeah, but these people love what they're doing. They're doing this for free. Yeah. Just yeah. because they love it. So was it love at first sight then with the Blue Jackets? 
I, I think it wasn't. I think it was also opportunity. Um, you know, again, it, you know, I think if I was in another city and I may still just be blogging because it's just obviously a larger market and a more established team with um, maybe a larger cohort of established voices. But uh, I was in Columbus. This was the team that was here. So it, it, I'm that kind of a person. I like to, I'm passionate about where I live. I'm passionate about the local community, local businesses, local teams. So it, it was about the game and the Blue Jackets were going to be the team that I would follow. Do you feel being a hockey fan is like being in a secret club somewhat? <laughs> I, for sure. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I think that um, there, there are pockets, right? I mean, you know, you go to Canada. It's it's funny. I was seeing on Twitter recently that um, people were going around saying, oh, my gosh, you guys, I, Avril Levine played hockey. I'm like, because she's Canadian. Like, <laughs> it, it, that's not a big deal. Um but, you know, I, I think in America, again, uh, hockey wasn't the predominant sport, except for maybe a few pockets like, you know, the Detroit area and, and or maybe maybe all the original six cities, but maybe yeah. not. Um, and so I think that it's not something that's as largely viewed. You know, we've talked about this in these times, even the NHL is the one of the major sports where its primary revenue stream is from ticket sales. It's not their TV deal. So they're even set up differently in terms of how a casual fan might take them in, in terms of like you turn on the TV and there's a game. It's not the same as the other main sports. So I think it's catching. I think, you know, again, look at Columbus. Who would have thought 30 years ago that they'd be growing players who who are born here and now playing in the NHL? But it, it's catching on, but it's still not widely understood, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean about with Canada and hockey. I feel as though even me and I, I followed NHL you know, as closely as I can. and But I feel any random Canadian just knows three, four, five times as much as me. There's nothing I can do because it's like osmosis. It's like me with soccer. I can't avoid sure. it. I mean, sure. I, I can't not know about it. It's it's everywhere. So bring up the TV deal then. Me and my colleague Will were talking on the show the other night because we'd meant, we talked about, um, I don't know if you read about Kurt Overhart's idea about an exceptional sort of player mm-hmm. on the salary cap. And mm-hmm. we were talking about sort of TV revenue and the cost for Vegas getting into the league, the new Seattle team getting into the league. Do you have an idea where all the money's gone or what <laughs> they've kind of done with it? And when this new TV deal kicks in, like, are we going to see the salary cap jump up to say 130 million or like it has done in the NFL or the NBA or in baseball? Well, I mean, I think that's the goal, right? It's, but yeah. it's going to be uh very interesting given this pause and the financial ramifications of that. Um, you know, right now, you mentioned Kurt Overhart's idea, you know, right now it's looking like teams will be lucky if the salary cap remains flat and doesn't go down for next year. So yes, of course, the, the, the goal, the plan is that when these new deals come in, that, that money is shared across the league and across teams and, and therefore can bump up what is spent, what is earned, et cetera, and so forth. But I think it's, in a way, this this Seattle franchise could be a safety net for the league as they kind of try and get get through the who for how long? Who knows? There's not going to be games. Luckily, it's come up while I'm talking to you. But the talk about the dra- <laughs> having the draft earlier, yeah. sort of before the season's actually finished. You know, the, there's the talk about obviously what you do with conditional picks and all that kind of thing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I have to say I'm I'm not a fan. I think that oh, me neither. Thank God. <laughs> I think it's a terrible I, idea. I mean, I get it. I get the the desire to have an event, to take advantage of being the only act on stage, if you will. Um, the revenue, of course. I, I, I do appreciate the point that is made that 
for the young player hoping to be drafted, this keeps them on, on a trajectory that's common to what every other drafted player has gone through. But I think that there are still so many unknown. If you're going to hold the draft, then you have to end the season. That's just how I feel about it. It's You can't have all these question marks. The Blue Jackets are a great example. If they were to set the draft position now based on standings, the Blue Jackets would be in a different spot than what is projected to be one of the playoff scenarios. So there, yeah. so draft spots are impacted in this way as well. So yeah, I, I think you you should not be holding a draft unless your season is complete. Yes, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. Because then it it kind of it's a draft lottery, but then it's removing the lottery part of the draft lottery. Right. And like we've That's seen. Right. I think it was Dallas when they got, um, God, I think it was Mira Haskin and they went from like 10 to three or we've seen teams jump from like eight to two and stuff like that. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm selfishly, I want the Senators to get one and two in the draft because I <laughs> right, think it'd be hilarious. Right. I, that's what right. I want. I just, because I'm like, I'm like kind of like Jeff Merrick. I like, I enjoy chaos and like insanity. I think it'd be amazing for the Senators to get Byfield and Lafreniere. I think that'd be just fantastic. But uh... <laughs> So when, you, when you're blogging then, how do you decide what, kind of idea or even I guess even when you're writing now I mean how do you decide what idea to chase is it something or what story to write is it something you just get an idea in your head and oh my god that's it or do you have to sort of search around looking for a story yeah it's um a little bit of all of that um sometimes you know there's a moment uh there's a game there's a performance by a player there's a play and you pounce on that it's it's immediate it's something you want to talk about but I really try to always have a list of running ideas. Maybe they're just things I'm curious about. Maybe it's something I hear a player or a coach or even a fan uh, talk about. And I kind of, it's, it's a slow burn, right? So you, it's, you have to ask a lot of people, maybe do a lot of work, see if there's a story. Sometimes those things don't even turn into stories. Um, and sometimes it's, it's about a trend. There's, you know, do you want to look at um, something I really enjoy watching is the penalty kill across the league. And so there's an ongoing set of work that I am doing related to managing and tracking penalty kills so that when something comes up specific to that part of the game, I'm ready to write on it. So it's, it's a little bit of reacting to the moment. It's a little bit of ideas that are percolating. And yeah, sometimes you're just like, I, I'll turn to my colleague and I'll say, my gosh, what should I write on this week? Cause you, you just don't know. Um, Cause even though your idea might be good, you also, it's about reading the room, right? I, I remember I had a really fun and light story uh, last season that was great fun. I knew people would really enjoy it, but the team wasn't winning and there was some some drama around the team. And so you have to sit on it. You have your work done, but it's it's not going to, it's not going to land properly, right? It's not, people are going to say, why are you writing this when the team is da, 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 yeah. So sometimes you have the work done, but you still have to find a new idea to match kind of the narrative of what's going on. So you mentioned that you maybe have an idea for a story or start working on it, but it's never kind of come to fruition. Do you have a story that you put a ton of work into that just never made the light of day? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I see a ton of work that, well, I have a couple right now <laughs> that, oh, okay. may never see, that may never see the light of day um, just because who's to say if they'll be relevant. Um, I, I've been tracking and watching to see if the new face-off rule that the league put into place had any actual impact on the game. Um, and I don't know if that'll ever um, come to fruition in part because my data wrangling, it's just been a massive project. Um, and it also may, it may end up not being relevant. Um, and I have a couple other projects like that where um, I need the data and the timing and the uh, opportunity to line yeah. up for, for the story to be told. 
I guess, yeah, if you're, just, if you're looking into all this data for the face-offs and then the, the TLDR is, it's the same. You're like, right. oh, that's great. I've just done all that work just to say right. it's the same. Nothing's <laughs> changed. Brilliant. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. I've heard people say this before, but you obviously get a lot of freedom working for the athletic then to kind of take time and dive into stories rather than just, okay, get a piece out, get a piece out, get a piece out. Is that how you found it? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that uh, you certainly, and I'm fortunate, um, my, my colleagues on the beat um, are long-tenured, uh, amazing journalists, Aaron Portstein and Tom Reed. And so they have that traditional background that's, I think, good to ground someone like myself who has literally no pro- professional training. <laughs> um, but I, you know, it's, I, they have taught me, too, that sometimes it is important to be present, even if the story isn't a home run you want to always reinforce with your readers and your audience that you're going to be there as, as a source for news and stories. So there's an, an importance to repetitiveness and, and continuing to produce, again, even if it's just a quick short hit versus some big research story. But yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the kind of work that I do now, I don't know that even when I started at The Athletic, some publications are, are allowing for it more. But when I started at The Athletic, I don't know that there was truly a place that would have let me <laughs> write the way that I do. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty fortunate in that respect. So was there any interest in journalism at all when you were younger? Did you ever, like, were you a big paper reader or reading blogs? Or why did you kind of decide to kind of even jump into it? <laughs> um, I, You know, it's funny. I, I wasn't necessarily interested in journalism per se, but I always did like being on top of information, um, going back, like you said, to papers. And then, you know, when the Internet came out, <laughs> I'm that old, <laughs> when the Internet came out publicly, <laughs> um, you know, lear- using that, finding that as an information source, um, stay. I mean, I had RSS readers and, you know, I go back to ask Jeeves and, th- and things that, that oh, people who well. don't, yeah. don't even know existed. Yeah. Um, but I'm always um, interested in information. And what's funny is that. While I didn't pursue journalism per se, my work as a consultant always had a really heavy writing component to it. You always had to write um, to explore an opportunity, to make a proposal to a potential client, and also to summarize your work and and produce the results, right? So I think that that experience grounds the way that I write, which is, again, more about exploring ideas, seeing what matters, seeing what people say, identifying things that have value. So um, I had that kind of training and maybe just brought it into journalism. Yeah, like a yeah, it's transferable skills then, isn't it? It's yeah, uh, yeah. You're just bringing it over with you. You just you mentioned going back to something you said a, a few moments ago that you like to study uh, the penalty kill. Would it be fair to say then you're you're a fan of the defensive game, like a, a close two one or a one nil? Do not mind. <laughs> you know, it's that's a good question. It's funny. I don't I don't know that I am, but I also don't know that I am not. But I I do enjoy the defensive side of play even in in even strength just defense and I think part of it is because I don't think we understand it enough right because how do you measure the prevention of something something you something didn't happen because you did your job um so I think that's what intrigues me but um it is funny in that uh being a reporter you don't really get into games you're 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 more concerned about what's actually happening so I, I don't know that I've ever really reacted 
to to a score per se. That's a good. I'll have to think about that one. <laughs> it's only because uh, my my love of boring defensive hockey is well known on this podcast, and uh, I get kind of ribbed about it all the time by my colleague. I I love I love one nils or two ones. It's uh, I'm the same in any sports. I've I've always loved it. Like I'm an NFL fan as well. I love defensive battles. I love a 12-9 mm-hmm. or a 12-6 games like that. Is there a particular piece of work that you're most proud of then? Uh, going obviously back to, to the reporting side of things. Anything you've kind of gone back and read and thought, oh my God, I nailed that. It was absolutely <laughs> perfect. I couldn't have done any more to it. <laughs> I, I think that um, the work, some of the work that I'm most proud of, um, and it's funny because it's not even a ton of writing, um, but I was fortunate that The Athletic allowed me to cover the Ohio State women's hockey team um, in addition to the men's hockey team that they had asked me to cover. And I I think it's so important to shine a light on female athletes, on the women's game, on and having inclusion and diversity in our coverage. Absolutely. And I think my if someone has to ask me what is my favorite story of all time, it's a story I did with last year's um, – not this past season, but two seasons ago, um, the Ohio State team, the women, and we asked them they if they wanted to participate, they could. If they had a scar from a hockey injury, we were going to take pictures of their scars and tell the story of their scars. And we heard the most um, badass stories. <laughs> and my friend who's a photographer came in and did the photography. It was brilliant. And just the the power of that piece um, in terms of the stories that we told and the fact that we were focusing on women athletes in a completely unique way is something that I will I will die being proud of. Um, and then I think what, what really was cool for me too was last year during the playoffs, um, I really got to do some great systems work um, looking at, of course, the penalty kill and yeah. then uh, the forecheck and the power play for the Blue Jackets. And I had been working to really up my ability to work with data and clip video on my own instead of having to ask my friends. And those skills all kind of finally came to maturation. And I was able to put it all together in some pieces. And, and those are those are probably some of my, my landmark uh, posts as well. What got you interested in analytics? <laughs> this is this is a funny story. Um, I've told it a couple times and people who know me, it, it makes perfect sense. Um, but we were actually at a Blue Jackets game and... Um, a player fired a shot and I looked up at the shot counter and the shot counter did not increase. And I said, well, that is absolutely stupid. That was clearly an act, an offensive act that caused a defensive. And I wasn't this clinical in the moment, but I was like, that matters. (laughs) That thing that happened there just now matters. And, you know, my husband and I got into this big debate about that's because of the definition of shots on goal and things like this. And I was like, that is absolutely asinine. We're not representing what's happening with the stats that we're looking at. And this was right around the same time as the the great evolution of data in the NHL and the concepts of Corsi and Fenwick were just starting to come out in the public space. And I was lucky enough to find them. And I was like, yes, this is what I was saying. This this makes far more sense. And it's statistically relevant. Um, And I've always had an appreciation for saying, yes, I can prove to you that this thing is real. Um, so I, I was lucky to just find that information in that part of the hockey community when that was kind of all being birthed um, and just dove right in and never looked back for better or worse. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, it is for better and sometimes definitely worse. How do you feel? How do you deal with them with people who just do not want to listen to it and don't want yeah. to understand it or even try? Is there yeah. any way to get through to those people? 
Well, I think, I mean, here's the thing. I think some people don't want to try or just being difficult. Um, and, and I think that's, here's the thing. If you don't want to get into analytics, God bless. I mean, if you, if your, if your vision of a perfect sporting experience is to go watch the game, drink a beer, hang out with your friends and not care about anything other than your favorite player and your favorite team, I think that's wonderful. And you should totally continue in that path. If you're going to actively be negative about stats, that's hard for me to reconcile. I don't understand why you need to expend energy being actively negative about something. Um, But in terms of bigger acceptance, um, I think, you know, and the head coach of the Blue Jackets is John Tortorella, who is perceived (laughs) as as anti-analytics. However, you know, I I think the whole thing about the analytics that makes sense are not these massive revolutionary ideas, right? Like, let's think of some things we've learned. Corsi taught us that the team that takes more shot attempts than the other team is more likely to win the game. That makes sense. That's not some crazy, wacky idea. There's theories that if you enter the zone with the puck under your control, you're more likely to be able to get a scoring chance. That makes sense. I mean, these are not, you know, (laughs) paint your face purple and walk in, you know, backwards. These are not the kinds of things that analytics is purporting. And I think that if we, if we can take the time to talk and listen in a translatable way, I don't go into John Tortorella's press conferences and say, John, uh, you know, your expected goal total was higher than the other team. Do you feel that 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 gave your team a better chance to win? No, no, no. What I'll say to him is I'll say, John, how did you feel about the shot quality? Did you feel your team had an offensive edge and why? And he will talk, entertain that all day long. And if you listen to the things he believes about the game, he's actually been very progressive in evolving how he thinks about the game. He's he's a very he's very much in line with a lot of the things that the analytics community talks about. He just doesn't use the same words. And it, in my opinion, if we're all thinking about the same concept and talking about the same thing, it doesn't matter to me if we're using the analytical terms. We have to do that translation so that we can understand one another versus, you know, die on a mountain over using a word coursey or expected goals or what have you. <laughs> Fantastically put. Um, you've mentioned Torts there. I've got to ask you, do you think he's the only coach in the league who's bigger than any of his star players? The problem with doing a show like we do from England is we have to search out news. We don't get anything just kind of, like I said before, osmosis. We don't get anything sure. like that. We have to sure. find everything we talk about and go sort of rooting for it. And that's how it comes across when we read things over here. Like that's I can't a, think of another coach who's who's bigger than any of his any of his players, and he's the only one I can think of. What a wonderful question! Um, you know what? I think that right now today the answer is yes, um, and I think that in part that's because Columbus isn't a team that many people actively follow. They know they exist, but they're not a team that every NHL fan knows a lot about. Um, it, it, it surprises me sometimes how people don't realize some of the talent that's on this team. Um, but John Tortorella has been around forever. So there's a, a knowledge factor there. There's a comfort factor there. And so, yeah, I think that on a, on an international to your point stage, um, that when people think Columbus Blue Jackets, the first thing they think probably is John Tortorella for sure. I'm going to ask you to climb up into the trust tree with me, Alison. Okay. Um, I'm ready. Did you honestly think that the Blue Jackets would be this good this season? <laughs> so I I thought they would be competitive, but I did not expect them to survive and 
thrive as much as they did, particularly with the insane amount of injuries they had. Um, it would have been impressive for this team to be in a playoff spot as it was. But they led the league with 420 man games lost. They had seven games, so a tenth of their season, when they had 10 players from their starting opening night lineup out of the out of the game due to injury. And they averaged six starting players out per game the entire season. And to do what they've done with that added burden, I am shocked. So uh, I, I didn't think they were going to be bottom of the barrel by any means, but they certainly surpassed my expectations. Yeah, there is something to be said for us versus them, isn't there? Oh, because at the start of the season, obviously, I read and you know listened to all the previews. And everyone said, well, obviously, it's going to be... When the Metro is going to be tricky, you can't really pick a team, but I know Columbus is going to be at the bottom. I know that much. And yep. that's, you know, bulletin, it's bulletin board material, isn't it? Stick that on the bulletin board. Yeah, boys, oh, look yeah. at this. Look what everyone's saying. And that's that's so easy. Oh, and Torts um, loves that. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. If you're going to pick anybody to use bulletin board material, yeah, you'd pick Torts. <laughs> Last thing, may seem like I'm um, kind of throwing you a live grenade, and I apologize for that. But <laughs> how much pressure do you feel as a, as a female sports journalist? And I kind of I'll piggyback a question off that actually. How much has it improved since you started first doing this? Yeah, it's 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 an important question, and I think that um, you you I don't know that you feel the pressure, but I think it's something that you're definitely aware of. Um, and I think that we have a long way to go. I mean, it's there is there is definitely a thing when um, you walk in and another team is is in in the arena and you see another woman. Um, because nine times out of 10, I'm the only woman in the entire room, locker room, press room, everything, um, covering the sport. And mm -hmm. when you see another woman, it's like this instant, like, oh, hi, hello, I see you. You're one of us. Um, <laughs> so I think that uh, there's progress, but not enough. Um, I think that we're severely lacking in all kinds of diversity. There are not, there are hardly any people of color let alone Absolutely. women of color in, in yeah. the sport. Um, and I think that's unfortunate. And I think that, you know, there, there is still, I mean, and my Twitter mentions and, and my colleagues' Twitter mentions, I mean, the things that people say, the mindset that is still out there, the fact that people think calling a player a girl or other derogatory female-oriented words, uh, calling Sidney Crosby Cindy Crosby is an insult. I mean, there's a lot of underlying cultural problems there that um, are so hard to to fix. But I think that it's important to be out there and do what we're doing. Um, I always say, you know, if you bring a little girl into a hockey arena, where does she see that she could be part of this world if she wanted to be professionally? And just a few short years ago, it was only a nice girl mm -hmm. or maybe a vendor. And now we're starting to see women in front offices. We We need more of that. We need more people of color in those spots. But I hope to be a person that shows other young women and girls that if they have a passion about this sport and if they want to write about this sport or if they want to be doing things with data and crunching numbers and analysis, that there are women out there that are doing that. So um, there is a lot of work to do. There's a lot of, of problematic behavior still out there. But um, I'm proud to be doing it. And I'm proud that I do have a good support structure around me that has has always watched out for me to help me through the rougher spots 
Yeah, my wife is in the same situation. She's um, higher up in management and her profession, it's male dominated. And she works in, in stores and store management. And even in her side of things, it's it's still the same kind of thing that we see. In, it's not just a hockey problem. Like you say, it's, no, a, it's right, a societal sure. issue. It's a societal issue. But um, I can't believe the time's run out already, Alison. It's, it's gone so quick. <laughs> Anything you'd like to promote before you leave us today? Uh, well, you can um, follow me on Twitter. It's at Allison L. Um, I also have my work at The Athletic. Um, and I have another podcast that I do with, with two other women um, speaking on, on kind of wrapping up on that last topic. Um, it's called the Too Many Men podcast. And you can check that out at TooManyMenPod.com. Brilliant. Allison, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This was a blast. A big thank you to Allison for taking out time to talk to me. This part of the show is brought to you by Wave Intel. Jason Paul and his legion of workers are still beavering away to provide you with the best data charts and information to impress or bore your friends with. Wave Intel online and on Twitter, being smart so you don't have to. It was a quiet week this week, but something that got everyone's uh, kind of dander up was the idea of having a draft before the season had finished. <sighs> Early draft will, good or bad? Let's start there. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say bad for the reason that a lot of people are bringing up in the fact that if we have if we have the draft before the season even resumes, let alone is concluded, uh, we're we're not going to see a trade until February 2020 21. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, dear, dear! It, it just won't happen. It just won't happen. Apart from that, whatever. Who who gives a fucking shit when teams select? Yeah, as long as we've got a reasonable draft order in place that is fair to all teams, because because it's, it's, as much as it doesn't necessarily make much of a difference if you're picking seventeenth or twenty first, you still want to get it right and fair, sort of thing. But yeah, it doesn't fucking matter if Lafreniere is called first overall today or on September the thirtieth or whatever, does it? It is just that that sort of uh, league administration side of it where teams like to do business at the draft for whatever reason because picks are available or whatever it might be and if you take that opportunity away because you're doing it before the season comes back that I think is going to be a detriment to to fans number one to teams number two and and whoever else is involved in that sort of thing there was talk and a few people pointed out that if the current playoff idea goes ahead which is 24 teams you could have a situation where a team wins the cup and then if they have the lottery, picks first overall. Good. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Please. This goes um... back to, to the Red Wings fans situation where the whole, like, the league, the fans, anyone involved takes this whole shit far too fucking seriously. Who gives a shit if a team wins the, wins the cup and picks first overall? Fucking whatever, what fucking ever? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> well, I get it, will. But are you on an existential crisis this week where <laughs> nothing matters in the world. What's the point? We're all gonna die one day anyway. Who gives a shit? Well, <laughs> Is that what's mean, happening? And then I, I don't want to go that far. But I, I mean, <laughs> in the sense of like nobody's gonna die if. Yeah, but will will? I mean, who cares? If a piece of vulcanized rubber goes between two red pipes and hits some netting, I mean, if you think about it, who cares? <laughs> do, do you know what's really interesting, Dan? The goal line 
is nothing. The the plane <laughs> of reality that the vulcanizer rubber crosses that we de- <laughs> we deem you know here no goal <laughs> two inches that way a goal there ain't nothing there. That's that's one to get your brain box around. Isn't it mad? <laughs> fucking mad mate <laughs> fucking mental listeners I think you can tell what kind of week Will's had by this conversation right now <laughs> I, I, I stared death in the face and now, now it's true mate matters. it's true nothing but matters I don't, I don't even necessarily mean it in like a nihilistic sense it would be more interesting like it, <laughs> Tampa Bay win the cup and then pick Lafreniere first overall excellent let's see what we can do do you, do you not want? Do you not want to see good teams? Maybe I'm just a sucker because I love a good, uh, like a super team. I love, I love a Real Madrid or whatever. It's oh, you're one of those, are you? Oh God, I never for, knew that. For, forgive me for enjoying a sport and wanting to watch the best players play together and do really cool things. Big money, Will. I had no idea. Would you rather watch a Tampa Bay power play or a Senators power play? If you don't know me. But you don't get to ask that question because you should know the answer. Because I want to see players falling over and whipping shots for hilarity. That's what I want to see. Being a Celtic fan, you want to watch a um, <laughs> you you want to watch a uh, an Orlando Solar Bears of the ECHL power play. There you go. Come on though, would you? Who would you rather see pick first and second overall, the Lightning or the Sens? Come on, if you get if you get first and second, I want to see the Lightning do it definitely. No way. The Sens, man. I want to see the Sens get him. Nah, fuck Eugene, though. That's the problem. Ah, damn it. I always forget about Eugene. Yeah, that's, that's the issue, isn't it? That's the issue. I always forget that he's not just a bumbling oaf. He's like a genuinely bad person. He's, he's <laughs> that's really, the problem he's sometimes. He's a really, bad, a really guy. bad guy. It's kind of taken... It's kind of... Oh, shit. I've got to say it now. You know what I'm like? But it's kind of taken that Hitler thing now where... <laughs> like, no, but he's now become like this joke that we just laugh at or take the piss out of or like, yeah. you know, like there's fucking impressions of him and, all, you know, like, oh, and like, oh, and like Hitler. <laughs> and like, it just becomes like, and then you stop and think, oh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, he was... was one of the worst human beings who ever lived. Yeah. I remember it's... now. Shit. Sorry. I forgot. And you just kind of in that moment, you just forget. And that's what you get with Eugene. It's funny. It's funny <laughs> you mention that because we watched, um, we watched Jojo Rabbit at the weekend. Oh, okay. And I, the whole film it was enjoyable. It was it was a good film. Like really hits its stride in sort of the second half, and it, it gets really good. There's some really good moments. But whenever Hitler's on screen, it's like I don't quite know how to feel about this. Yeah, exactly. This is, yeah, this is exactly funny, but yeah, it's 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 a weird one. It's a very weird one. Let's be real for a second, though. The only reason the NHL is even thinking about doing this is to make money. Yeah, because they too. saw what happened with NFL. They saw what happened with NFL draft. There was no other sports on, so people went fucking crazy for the NFL draft. But here's your problem, NHL. You're not the NFL. Mm-hmm. You're the NHL. I love this idea, th- this notion that the NHL does this to increase exposure. Do you think for one second a random American gives two flying fucks about where Quinton Byfield is selected? No, they don't. They don't care at all. The people who want to watch the NHL draft are just going to watch it regardless. It doesn't matter when it's on. It doesn't even have to be on. Put it on the, Just put it online the next day. The same amount of people will care. It doesn't matter. We've talked about this before. Hockey fans will always come back to hockey. doesn't matter what you do. They'll always be there. You're not going to suddenly make 5 million new fans because someone's like, 
Oh my God, Lafreniere's fallen to the Blackhawks. No, hockey fans will care. But your random fans, like random people in the street who don't watch hockey, aren't going to give a shit. Bloody Joe, Joe Smith, a lifelong Atlanta Falcons fan, sees that the NHL draft is on and there's no other sports. He's like, ah, I better go go buy four jerseys and 15 hats. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, no, mate. Get myself on that season ticket waiting list. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's, it's a thing of... Even if people did tune in, the NHL isn't fucking interesting. So they'll they'll watch for ten minutes, nothing interesting will happen. They'll be like, "Well, it's fucking boring," and not watch it again. That's the thing. NFL draft is interesting for NFL fans because NFL fans also follow the fuck out of college football. Even a lot of NHL fans don't follow the minor leagues of hockey. They don't care. They have their NHL team, and that's it. I'm not saying all of them. Clearly, there are fans who are going to care, but. But then I, I think I even know. the ones who, who have some vested interest and like uh, pay some attention to like the CHL or the NCAA is looking at your own team's prospects. Like I don't, I don't outside of Canada, I don't think there are many fans who are yeah fans in America or abroad or whatever who are like oh I support the Rangers in the NHL, but I'm also a an avid Prince Albert Raiders fan or whatever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I just it's it's just it's. <laughs> Fucking insane. If if you can't get people to tune into the playoffs, then you're not getting people to tune into the draft. Fucking that is such a great point. That's so true. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. You can't even get people to watch just you can't even get random sports fans to watch the fucking Stanley Cup. Why are they gonna watch some team draft some guy twenty seventh? Who gives a shit? So this might be an unfair comparison to make. Here we go. World Cup final. Yeah. Okay, yeah. World Cup final. Not even like England aren't even playing. I'm watching the World Cup final with my mother-in-law, my wife, my sisters-in-law, who, yep. surprise, exactly. surprise, in a very traditional way, not football fans, but they're getting right into it because it's the World Cup final. It's a massive event. It's the World Cup, exactly. Dan, have you ever watched the Ballon d'Or ceremony? <laughs> <laughs> No, I wait to see. I look on the BBC News the next day and go, "Oh, Ronaldo won it," or "Oh, Messi won it." Cool. Okay. <laughs> it's it's That's oh, it. Kevin Keegan won it. It's <laughs> twice. It's it's on in the middle of summer. There's no other sport going on. No other football going on, Dan. Why why aren't you watching it? You're a massive football fan. Exactly. It's 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 the same difference. Like the, it's not like they're pushing to get games back where they would be the only sport on television. It's still fucking admin. It's televised admin, like, nobody gives a shit. And you've just got, like the NHL draft, like the lottery, you've just got 31 white guys in suits sat there talking to another white guy in a suit who's holding up a ball, going, oh, you're picking, or holding up fucking cue cards with, like, the fucking logos on. Picking seventh will be, oh, no way. Not that team. No, they they don't give a shit. The mildly exciting parts of of the draft, or as we said, the trades, or like the threats of trades, where you get like, oh, Mark Bergevin's talking to Jim Benning on the draft floor, I wonder what could be happening there. And the equivalent of your average sports fan who's not an NHL fan tuning in to watch that is like coming into a fucking sitcom halfway through season six and expecting to understand the sort of nuances of what's happening. You're starting Game of Thrones at season seven, episode one. Not like, even episode one, like episode three in season seven. Yeah, who, You've not had who the easing back in. 
yeah, exactly. Why do I care about this player again? Can anyone help me in the room? Everyone else is like, no, we don't watch hockey. Sorry. So yeah, so not not only is it going to be arguably detrimental to their own league to have the draft sooner, they're also not going to have any of the desired effects of having the draft now. If if it ha- if it goes ahead and some TV company pays a fortune for this coverage, it will just show that like there are no rules anymore in regards to what TV companies will pay for. Because if I was the head of ABC or NBC or, or Sportsnet, whatever, and the NHL was like, well, you know, we think we're probably going to charge X amount of pounds. I'd be like, fucking no way, mate. Like, forget it. I'll give you 10% of that if you're lucky. Well, in, in theory, they shouldn't, Sportsnet, NBC, whatever, shouldn't pay for any of it. It's just like, no, oh, yeah, we're, true. we're putting it on because you fucking owe us products that we've paid for. Yeah, that's true. Just yeah. mad. Just mad. There was a few rules under the scheme as well. Uh, movement of spots will be limited to four places as well under the new scheme. Yeah, it's fucking boring, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. Not only will the draft be on, it will be a less exciting version of the draft. Each team's points percentage will be used to determine selection. And and this is my absolute favourite. This is my absolute favourite thing. In an absolute fuck you to every team, in my opinion. Do you know what they're going to do for conditional trades? Oh, it's going to be like an NHL arbitration on... on Right. The league will propose a solution, okay? And then the teams have seven days to either sort out between themselves or it's just the league's decision and that's it. It's just just like it or lump it, bitch. Here's what we're saying. If you can't work it out between yourselves, this is what's happening. Tough. What's going to happen with that, though? Because... So with the with the JT Miller trade, that that first round pick is with Jersey, who haven't even necessarily given up the piece that those conditions are uh, reliant on. That first yeah. is is about whether the Canucks make the playoffs, and it's um, yeah. If if they don't make the playoffs, it becomes a twenty twenty one first round pick. So that's right. What would the ruling be there? They just rule that it's definitely a twenty twenty one first round pick because then that's not really. That's not really fair because even though the the Devils haven't given up JT Miller, they've still negotiated with the Tampa Bay Lightning for that pick and all the conditions that uh, they're sort of attached to it. So it's it's a really hard one. They're just yeah. making more work for themselves. Yeah, it's moronic. I think at, at least don't have it in June. If you need to have it before the season ends for whatever reason, fair enough. But you definitely don't have to don't have the draft before you've even decided what you're fucking doing with the rest of the year. Oh yeah, who's who's in the playoffs? It's a crazy like, thing to do. It's a crazy like thing. Like the Taylor to do. the Taylor Hall the Taylor Hall trade is the conditions are about if um the Coyotes win a playoff round. One of that's one of the conditions. So if you want to have the draft how about have the draft in the middle of the cup final? Make it like a super day or something, like a, there's like Game four, or whatever the cup finals, and that's the same day, and they'll do the draft that day as well. So it's like an insanely big, crazy. You know, it's one big crazy hockey day. You've already got the two teams in the cup final, so you know all the conditions have either been met or not for like ninety eight percent of them. Or, or you could literally do it the day after the cup finals are finished. <laughs> They're talking about having sandwiched the cup... in between games on an off day or whatever. Like, yeah, you could do that. Because it because say, say the cup it, finishes in sep- say the cup finishes in September, and the league restarts in December. You can't sort out the draft and all that shit in two months. The draft is literally picking fucking balls out of a tube. That's it. 
it's not even like you've got to wait until the season's finished to discuss it. If you get a schedule sorted out, you can just schedule it in then. It's... But to just make all this extra work and have all these different things going on when there's just there's just no need to, and it's not going to make any difference anyway to any kind of fandom or viewership. I don't think anyone gives a monkeys about the draft at this point. Anyone who's a hockey fan. Here's what I'll say about it. If you're the kind of person who can't live without watching the NHL draft live, then maybe take a look at your life choices, okay? Have a good hard look in the mirror and just think, what have I done with myself? There, what have I become? Not, is there not more to life than this? Yeah. Come on. Even, even then, like it's... If I, if I was a Sens fan, I'd be more concerned with knowing where we're drafting more than anything else. Don't care when the draft is, as long as I know when they're drafting. All right, that's the... Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. That's the important thing. Have we got Have we got second and third? Have we got first and fourth? Have we got ninth and tenth? What's going on? All right. Anything else on that? No, nothing on that. No. Anything else from you, mate? Anything you want to quickly throw in? There, there, all, there was something that I just wanted to quickly pick your brains about i saw someone on twitter i forget who it was i think i want to say it was the period sweets on twitter someone someone yeah. put out a give us some crazy hockey rule changes recommendations and there was one that stuck out to me that absolutely piqued my interest well go on somebody making the idea making the proposition that you have the shootout before the game <laughs> so then the result of that shootout is right if we're tied at overtime then the Predators won the shootout so the Predators win and then it it subsequently influences teams sort of you know you go into overtime you think right if we don't win in overtime we've lost lost that is a really good that's some big brain thinking I, I love I, that idea I like it I really like it because you see you know, it doesn't take away the loser point or anything like that but it's going to put more Teams aren't going to play to get to the shootout because the shootout's already happened. Teams are actually playing for the second point rather than not, if that makes any sense. Well, yeah, I, I get what you're saying because if the team, yeah, say it's, I don't know, say it's Preds, Avs. Say the Preds before the game win the shootout, the Avs know they then have to go for it if yeah, it gets exactly. through overtime. They don't have to go for it, but they're going to go for it because they want that second point got, rather than just thinking, now oh, we'll take our chances. And if the Avs are going for it, then the Preds can counter, and then yeah. you've got a game. That's the only way they can get that second point, rather than thinking, oh, we can try our chances in the shootout sort of thing. I like that a lot. I thought I was really... I like that a lot. Really good. Really good. And and the other thing I, I want to mention is, uh, I want to mention Hockey Legacy Manager 20 on the uh, the iStore, the, the Apple Store, and Google Play Store, which I've been, I've been playing a lot of the last few days. I think I've done four seasons in two days. It's, it's relatively quick, fast-paced, but for anyone who doesn't know, it's basically NHL BGM mode in your pocket. You don't you don't play any games. You don't do any sort of tactics or systems or anything. But it's it's trading, it's roster building, it's drafting, it's free agency, it's contracts. If you're an absolute loser like I am, and you love all of that aspect, <laughs> if if your favorite part of NHL Twenty is the menus, I've got the app for you, boys and girls, and it's. Yeah. I mean, let's not let's not get it twisted. Everyone's p- favorite part of NHL twenty is the off season it's and it. the draft and free agency and getting all your contracts sorted out and trades. That's the best bit. This is it, and you sim through the seasons like lightning on this. It's so beautiful because <laughs> like because all you have to do is set your lineup, 
there's no point. Like, <laughs> you might as well just send the whole season at once. And like, ah, didn't win the cup. Unlucky. But yeah, it's it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it's it's got the likenesses in like the old Pro Evo way of it's it's Tim Sagan, it's Samuel Crosby and all that sort of thing. So uh, it's it's really good. It's really fun. It's an alternate it's an ultimate hockey universe where it's Samuel Crosby, like you say. Yeah, it's uh, it's Andre Ovechkin and, and all that sort of stuff. Like yeah, it's it's free. Uh there is a a mode you can pay for where you can create teams and create players and stuff but it's free for the base app and you get enough features to have a bit of fun with it for anyone who's been looking for that sort of thing on on like a phone app i know i've been looking for it it's fantastic i'd fully recommend it it's so fun it scratches the itch it definitely does all right good stuff thank you for listening everybody will any last words uh no i think i've, I've used them all this week <laughs> all right nice one take care folks we'll see you later peace